Hey everybody, you're listening to Big Things with Zach Miko. On today's episode, I sit down with musical coach, audition coach, and my own sister, Casey Miko. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the theme song. Welcome, everybody, to Big Things with Zach Miko. It's me, Zach Miko, your host every week. Thank you guys for being here, as always. Um, we got a fun show for you today. I actually sit down with my own sister, Casey Miko. It's her birthday this weekend, guys. She's turning 27 years old, and Casey lives in New York City here with me. Uh, well, not with me. She has her own apartment. She doesn't live in my apartment, but she lives in the same neighborhood, so that's kind of cool. Um, she moved here a while ago to be an actor and since then has not only continued to be an actor and a musical theater performer, but she's become a both musical coach and audition coach. And I thought it'd be really cool to sit down and talk to her. I know a lot of people out there, um, are in the theater world and might want some pointers and might want. So I thought I was like, who better to talk to than my own sister? Um, if you guys like what you hear, please go to her website, CaseyMiko.com. If you, and you can go to CaseyMiko.com slash coaching and you can talk to her and we have a great little talk about life growing up. I threw a soda can at her head once. We talk about being scrappy teenagers and then moving on to be professional people. So without further ado, my interview with my own sister, Casey Miko. Ladies and gentlemen, on this week of Big Things with Zach Miko, I'm sitting down with my lovely sister, Casey Miko. Hi. Hi. How you doing, Case? I'm doing well. How are you? So for anyone who wants to know, my young, beautiful sister's birthday is going to be this f- Sunday. So when you hear this episode, it would have been yesterday. So you can say happy birthday to her. Um, you're turning 27, right? Am I yes. right with that? Yes, 27. Because you're two years younger than yep. me. I don't. I like how I still have to remember that <laughs> how what, what's the difference between you and jake uh jacob is four years younger than me okay for those of you who know casey also lives in new york city you yep. moved here how, how what's your what's your new york anniversary uh my new york anniversary is i believe september 2nd it would be my fifth anniversary this year it's gonna be your fifth yep this year's gonna be my 10th wow isn't that crazy oh, to think yeah. about so when you first moved here you lived in a living room i did live in a living room <laughs> it was not fun but uh, it was it was fine living with the person I was living with, but living in a living room in general it of a it, of it a was, one bedroom, not no. fun. No, it was pretty rough. It, it was, I remember I, I was very happy you moved there because I was like, you need to get to New York City and live here. But at the same time, this is a terrible apartment and yeah. a terrible setup. And it was also the kitchen. It was a living and room the, and a kitchen. And that was the thing. Like, you didn't have separateness. She came in every day and just started making eggs yeah, while if, you're trying to sleep in. Yeah. If it was a truly a separate living room from the kitchen, like it wasn't even like, oh, this is an open concept. It was just the same room. Yeah. If it had been a separate room, maybe it wouldn't have been so bad. But I was only there three months, I think. Was it that all? 
Yeah, it was November. That's good because that was a terrible apartment. Yeah. So why'd you move to the city, Case? I moved to the city because I am an actor, particularly a musical theater actor, though I do it all acting-wise. Musical theater is just my specialty and my passion. When did you first get into musicals? Uh, I first started getting into musicals like singing probably when I was about 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. I definitely was singing by the time I was in middle school, taking voice lessons by the end of middle school, but I didn't do my first production until high school. You didn't do any, did, did you, you went to Flood, right? Yeah, they didn't have they didn't plays have at it? Flood, no. Oh, I did a play at Flood. We did, uh, 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 um, oh, what was it called? It wasn't called Take Me Out or something like <laughs> that. The whole premise of it was that we put on, uh, oh, it was called Let's Put On a Show. Oh, I do remember where this. Where all we did was we put on a talent show so we could afford tickets to go to the Yankee game. Oh, yeah. It was It was a talent weird. show that yeah, they made you say stuff in between yeah, it was a talent show with a with a like seven hosts and <laughs> just right. pretending like oh this talent show needs to go better and then the actual talent and show that was miss Badaccino. it was miss Badaccino. yeah i took class with miss bad i loved miss Badaccino, uh but by the time i got there we weren't doing like something like that it was like it was choir because there was choir also but with miss bad we did like choir that was only musicals like we did a fiddler on the roof medley uh, so it was like choir would do traditional choir songs and uh other things but we were just like uh she would be like well we're doing a medley of this musical we're doing a medley of this musical which i loved it was yeah. great when did you first know that you liked musicals um like which are because because mom and dad used to play musicals all the time which what was the cd they used to play that was like oh, the one that got gotcha. you. The CD that used to get me. Or, or well, tape or, or record or whatever you want to It's hard it. to say. I would probably say Fiddler on the Roof is the one I remember oh. the earliest. I remember watching The Sound of Music the earliest, but listening mm -hmm. to Fiddler on the Roof, I feel like, was the first time I knew what For a musical me, was. I remember because the two that they would listen to on repeat were Fiddler on the Roof and Phantom of the Opera. Yep. So Phantom of the Opera was the one that I like connected to because I remember as a little kid I was afraid of Fiddler on the Roof because there was this one weird which I find out is apparently a very funny part of the the play yeah. but in reality I, th you know, I thought it was the most horrifying lady ghost ever and I hated Fru listening Macera. to it. Yeah. I actually have a friend who's playing Fru Macera right now in a Yiddish production of Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, I'm going to see it uh, later this month, so that's going to be interesting to see if it's as scary in Yiddish. Yeah, it was freaky in the car yeah. rides to Boston, I can tell you that much. I had the opposite, though, where I, I'm a huge fan of Phantom of the Opera now, and in middle school I was, but as a little kid, I thought that it was too spooky. Like, it was yeah. really, really scary oh, to me. Oh, and I loved it because I was like... I was into like heavy metal and stuff from a young age and I like it was dark and it was heavy. So I thought it was cool. But also I think the reason I wasn't afraid of Phantom of the Opera because it was definitely a lot of dark, scary parts mm -hmm. is since it is an operetta and there's no scenes. I understood what was happening the whole time. Whereas in Fiddler on the Roof, the song would just start and I'd be like, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah, it is like a, a three hour musical, but with like 12 songs. Yeah. Maybe there's more than that, but but like the CD is not three hours no, long. No, exactly. Whereas the Phantom CD is like three hours long. Yeah. Oh, but I love it so much. No, I do too. Now, I remember, so we were both in the same... Um, we went to the same high school at yes. the Bunnell High Bunnell. School in Stratford, Connecticut. Go Bulldogs, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess go Bulldogs. Did you ever go to a single Bunnell sports event? 
I went to one football game. Okay. Uh, my freshman year. I think I went to, I had a friend on the dance team, Kate, uh, Caitlin. And so I remember seeing her perform. Yeah. So I must have gone to something that she was performing at. Yeah. Um, but not really, no. Yeah. I never went to a single football game. Yeah. And I had friends on the sports teams. I just I, I have friends on the football team, go. too, and I just didn't. <laughs> I don't. I just, at that time, well, the funny thing is I'm such a huge football fan now. At the time, I really wasn't. I, no. I, I just, I didn't have a connection to football. I'd watch Giants games with Dad. But yeah. that was more just hanging out with dad and not really knowing what was happening. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't until college where my roommate Mark was super into football that I really started getting into football um, because I wanted to argue with him because he was a Dallas Cowboys fan. And I was like, I better learn what I need to learn to argue with this guy because mm. I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. Um, so we were both in Vanell Stage together, which mm-hmm. was the drama group, and you joined it first. Yes. So what was your first play with Vanell Stage? Um, the first show I did with Vanell Stage was Pfeiffer's People, which is is a uh, it's by Jules Pfeiffer, who's a legit playwright, and it's a uh, a number of vignettes. Uh, you can buy it at Drama Bookshop. Like it's 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 a produced play, but our um director mr ullman added a lot of music for us to do which was great because i at the time as a 14 year old was a terrible actor yeah. but a pretty good singer so i got to do stuff we were a big I musical should. school yeah. like i remember it got to the point where apparently the before we joined they used to do a straight play in a musical every year and then it got to the point where they just did two musicals a year. yeah we brought that back my junior year but you guys did little women uh, Little Women, no, okay, so what it was was there would be two shows a year, and then my junior year we did The Crucible, and we did Avita, but we also did Little Women like smack dab in the middle yeah. during the winter, where usually we wouldn't have a show, and then senior year we went back to two shows. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. So you joined um, Drama First, and then mm-hmm. I showed up because they were doing West Side Story. Yeah, I did. I did it <laughs> you because did sh- you did something outside. I did something before. Vanel, I did Laurelton. Yeah. Um, Laurelton High School was the all girls school in the ass, and my friend Anthony convinced me to go out for it because he was like, "You'll get a part. You're a boy. You don't <laughs> have. To, you'll just get a lead role." And I did. I played the dentist. Yeah. Oren Scrivello, DDS, in Little Shop <laughs> of Horrors. That was another thing is that they were doing Little Shop of Horrors, and I was like, "Okay, I can get into that." Yeah. Whereas if That's they were doing one. like. I don't know. Hello, Dolly. Even though now I like it, but you know, as a fourteen-year-old boy, I probably wouldn't have been too into it. Um, and then I joined the Benel Stage Two, and you were pissed <laughs> that I joined. I was, I was no. You know why I was mad? Was because I was there first, and then you. It wasn't that you joined because West Side Story. I didn't have a problem. It was that the next year you were president of the, the drama club. I was not president. Or you were producer. I was producer, which was a head of president in my head. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> co-president basically. Yeah. So I basically was like, "What?" Because I had been in it longer, and I it was it was because it was your you were my brother. So it was, yeah. It was like, I was here first, and you're in charge now? I know. What? Like, Because well, it wasn't just that you were there. You became a, kind of an unofficial boss of mine. And I was like, <laughs> why? I actually <laughs> never put that together, but that's yeah. true. I was kind of like, oh, you did this cool thing. I'm going to come in and be in charge of you. Yeah, I'm going to come in and be your boss. I was like, what? I know. But but also, I can understand that. Because as siblings, you, know, you want something that's your own yeah. also. And I know... 
it's one of those things like in hindsight now I know I was like intruding on you but yeah. at the same time since I went on to do a career of it, yeah, it was no, kind of like... You made the right choice. Yeah. Perhaps we could have sat down and had a calm conversation, but we were both uh, pubescent. Moody teenagers, yeah. So uh, I don't think that was going to go over very well, no matter what. No, you so and it's I, fine. You and I went, like, we... I mean, we got along to an extent, but we really didn't. But we were still we were a just, teenage... We were just normal brother teenage and brother and sister. Um... Yeah, I, you tell a story all the time. I threw a Coca-Cola can, a uh, Diet Coke, a, not that it matters. But a closed Coca-Cola can at me. At your head, and I missed, so I think that's okay. It <laughs> is, it's fine now, but at the time, if you think about a closed Coca-Cola can, and you are l- much stronger than me, that could have done real damage. It could have, but I missed. <laughs> and it's okay. But I was also like 14. I don't know, which is a terrible excuse, but <laughs> also... You were 14 and 6'2". So I don't know, exactly. It was, <laughs> it a, was fine. And I had a, chin, a sweet chin beard. Yeah. <laughs> well, everybody did at that age. Well, it's because he couldn't... It took me... It wasn't until college I could grow a mustache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, had a sweet, I could grow a sweet Abe Lincoln like real early <laughs> on. Well, actually, no, it didn't connect, so it was more like a weird John Wilkes Booth, yeah. minus the mustache. Yeah, but you always knew that you were going to be able to to have a beard because Dad has like a righteous beard. Yeah, Dad does. And now he always had a mustache, but now he's rocking a beard year round. And mm. our uncle Larry always had a huge beard, right. so it was kind of like, all right, it's in our genes. But I didn't yeah. know because <laughs> the Coats, our mother's side, is a hairless people, so I don't really know. Yeah, you're right. I don't they're think very, any of them have beards. They're very smooth. It's a very, <laughs> s- it's a very smooth family. They are smooth, but they have full heads of hair. So yeah, no, no one's no one's bald. No one's bald, except for Danny Walsh. But he's like an honorary uncle rather than yeah, the, the rather than a, a biological uncle. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So musicals, you didn't like that I was there, and I showed up to. I got over it. <laughs> you I did get over, over it, it. A- and I I think. It's important, and I think it was really cool that we found something that we were both super into. And at the time, for a little while, Jake got really into it, too. But then Yeah, he was, for middle school, he yeah. was into it. But then he went to high school, and it just turned off. Yeah, but to be fair, he was, the of the three of us, the one who was genuinely interested in doing sports. Yeah, well, that's the thing. He was so athletic. He just and, had and, a different and interest. He, and it was really that, like... And that's the thing about high school. You f- you pick your cliques and you kind of stick to them. Right. So Jake gets to high school and he decided first year, I'm going to go out for the baseball team. Mm-hmm. Therefore, not doing drama club. Yeah. End of list. And because of that, he did sports for most. I mean, yeah, he was in and out. He did he did baseball. He did band. He was on the golf team. Yeah. He was he was definitely the athletic one. He would do intramural sports yeah and you and he still I w- plays golf like ev- three times a week yeah we're playing and golf. basketball a bunch we're playing golf in two days yeah <laughs> playing golf with him. and yeah he's, a, he's like playing an adult. golf today like i was i Is was he? i saw him this morning and he's he was going to golf before work god he's that's very the good life that's the life um so you're doing plays and yeah. then i got out of your hair fairly quickly because so i was I, we only did it once but i the my first play with you when we did West Side Story was my junior year. Yeah. So then I did a bunch senior year and then I was gone. Yeah. Well, we did summer plays together too. And for some reason that dynamic worked better for me just because it wasn't the high school drama club. Like it was something that you and Tim 
had decided to create. Yeah, it, it and was Jared and I and Kirk and I was I was latching onto the thing that you guys had created. So I was like, I know my place. Yeah, here. it was like the power dynamic had already like I decided respect- itself. Well, I had respected it as your project yeah. that I was part of. Whereas in high school, I was like, I was here first. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a it's a yeah. it is what it is but yeah so we started a the Stratford community Stratford oh my square god square one teen theater thank you for knowing the <laughs> name of that thing I started I did take over it after you left you did take over um but I left and you went on to do a couple more plays because so we together did West Side Story a funny thing happened on the way to the forum and the whitest Miss Saigon of all time oh yeah that's a thing to rethink. Can we talk about how grossly inappropriate it was for us to do that show? It was. I will say, though, I w- was auditioning for the only white woman. I didn't get it, but I... D- I auditioned for a white man, and I got a half-white man, so I think yeah. it's okay. But it was it was rough. And I remember at the time, they were like, oh, you can't... At first, they told us we couldn't do the play, but we thought it was because <laughs> we were a, a mostly white, stupid but that's school. We thought that we couldn't do it because it was sexy because it involves prostitutes and whatnot. Honestly, and that was I think the that reason. Was the reason and but that's what was sad now. about it. That was the reason. And I remember we made an argument. They were like, well, the volleyball team wears short shorts too. We're wearing the same Ugh. thing. The volleyball team is. And they let it slide. But now I'm like, wow, in this hindsight, we should not have done it. We had one yeah. Asian girl and we put her in the chorus. Oh, she played Miss Chinatown, she did. which oh felt so bad. Now, like it, that's the thing is, I had some wonderful memories of of doing it and all that, but like, there's just no, <laughs> there's now in 2018, you're like, wow, that it, was awful. It, it's funny how social and adults d- let us do it. Well, th- the worst part is we didn't think anything of it, and the adults didn't think anything of right. like casting outside of racial. Tradi- not there tradition. were so many reasons we shouldn't. We sh- it was also now as an adult, it was too sexy for a high school to be Way doing. Way too sexy for a high school. It's to about be doing. sex workers. Like it's, it's it's literally a show about prostitutes. Yeah, it's. But then again, uh, so was a funny thing that happened on the way to the forum. There was a yeah. lot of prostitutes in that. Oh, but that one, that one's. Uh, I don't know. Yes, yeah, that one. But that one, at least we weren't. A lot uh, of the high school plays like the traditional high school plays are not appropriate for people right. to do because you look at Greece. Greece is like the no- we did Greece over the summer once Greece is like the number one high school and young theater show and it's literally a show about like hey you a strong independent woman you better cut that fucking shit out oh. because you need to get all <laughs> if you don't slut it up no one's gonna like you do, but do you remember the edits that they made for that version with Rizzo our, our version of it, instead of Rizzo being pregnant, she got dumped. Just got dumped. So she was like weirdly moody about she, it. Yeah, she was just really mad. But we didn't know who she got dumped by. Yeah, because Kaniki was still there. Yeah, I played Kaniki. And, and you didn't dump Rizzo in it. it yeah, was, she was just being mean to me. But she's supposed to be mean to me because she's pregnant and you're pissed. Yeah, and it was bizarre. But yeah, it was, they, uh, to be fair, they were the only. Uh, it wasn't our school, so at least they were vaguely attempting to make something appropriate for uh, teenagers to be in. I know. They did it better. But, but so many schools do Grease, and Grease is horribly inappropriate. Yeah. The song Grease Lightning is the dirtiest song ever. Oh, yeah. It is horrifically dirty. It's nothing about, it's just about like, hey, if you don't put out, you're not going to be cool. And that's the moral of the story at the yeah, end. There's They're like, like, there's oh. like uh, 
uh, a lot of sexual innuendo in that show. But hey, um, we did it. It's done. <laughs> no, we're <laughs> with it. I love. That's the thing that I also go is like, oh, I love that show. So I can't really shade them for letting us be in Greece because no, totally. I love Greece. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's, they're great shows, but they're just not meant for kids. Yeah, there should be, be there should have been someone along the way in a mu- m- multiple shows that we did. There should have been some adult along the way that said this isn't maybe the best idea. There also should have been someone on the set of West Side Story when we did it Ooh. to tell us how stage fighting worked yeah. because none of our fight scenes were choreographed. Mm-hmm. I think the f- the main fight scene between um, Riff and uh, Bernardo was choreographed or no so. sorry Tony and Bernardo was well both they both, both fight him. the three of them that was choreographed because s- it had to point. hit a music because it had a mu- exactly because <laughs> it was like it had to you you had to stab riff when it went exactly <laughs> um, but then what happened was we didn't then everyone on stage started fighting and since no one bothered to teach us to fight we're like this is Mr. Ullman's last show we want to make it really real cool. for him. Let's beat the shit out of each other. And that's what happened. The rumble started and you have you had 30 16-year-old boys on stage uh, just start punching each other as hard as they could. I, I remember our poor friend Cisco got his head like hit on the ground from he it. Got, and then people got mad at him. No, he got his like face like bro who hit him? Was it It was him and Chris. And here's the Chris thing. Bumpy I remember how him. this this fight went. Yeah. Was that like, and that nobody meant to hurt anybody, but it was like Chris and Cisco were having their unchoreographed fight, and somehow the way that Cisco got his head hit on the ground was that somehow Chris like caught him in the teeth with his fist. So everyone was mad at Cisco because Chris's hand was bleeding, and, and I was like, Cisco just got almost knocked out. I know. Well, no, they left him on stage because at oh. the end it's supposed to be. When everyone runs out, you see Bernardo's body, and you see Riff's body, and you see Tony there looking sad. Instead, of what happened was <laughs> Bernardo's body, Riff's body, and, and some Cisco. random fucking kid <laughs> in the corner just fucking Aww. out because uh, the guy who played Tony just just chocked him right in the face during yeah, the fight. I mean, that was that was unfortunate because it was just like a bunch of kids that didn't know what they were doing no we're just but we're just punching you each know other. cisco's fine i'm still friends with him he's his head is not <laughs> he's broken sur- he's survived he's he's good uh so anyway i went on i graduated i left you went on to then also be what was your um oh, official position i was stage? producer you were producer i was a producer so you took over my role basically yeah, I when was, i left um i was something because i had two years left i think the first year i was either treasurer or secretary which those positions didn't mean anything in a high school club it just meant that i could yell at a certain amount of kids and tell them to be quiet and then senior year i was producer which meant i could yell at everyone to be quiet exactly and uh so you took over and then you guys did evita after we left so for people who don't know casey's one of the best singers in the world and what happened was you're welcome uh, the girl who was playing the the lead, Ava Perone in Evita, had some sort of a conflict with another show. And she, what was it? The week well, of the show asked she, the entire high school to I, move the show? Okay, so here's what I believe happened. To her credit, I don't think the shows actually overlapped. I think that she had done the show 
a, a show the previous weekend and had gotten sick. Yeah. Which was still not a thing she was supposed to do. She wasn't supposed but, to be in a second show. But yeah. she got sick. And so she said, can we just move the show to next weekend? But we had rented so much stuff. Well, like lights, yeah, set, yeah. costumes. It was like, we don't just have extra thousands of dollars to do that. Yeah. No. A- and it was not going to happen. So what happened was... You weren't even the understudy. They just no. went to her and just like wasn't going to do it. But everyone knows that you were one of those girls <laughs> that you knew every word to every song and every musical. <laughs> and everyone know that you were great. So my mom, mom gets a phone call being like, hey, is it cool if we take your daughter? This was Thursday. The first show was on Friday or it was Wednesday. First show was yeah. Thursday. It was one of those things. Um, it was the day before the yeah, opening Yeah, it wasn't night. opening night. Yeah, but it was the day it before. It was the day before opening night. And they got a. My mom gets a phone call and be like, hey, is it cool with you <laughs> if we pull your daughter out of every class she has for the next two days and she learns the entire part of Ava Perone <laughs> and she goes on and does her thing? And mom's like, a fucking course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I will say that was the most impressive thing I've ever seen in my life. Aww. In 24 hours, you learned Ava Perone, one of the most <laughs> iconic musical theater things but you you know you learn one of the most iconic roles of all time in such a short amount of time but let's be honest you knew all the words oh i did i'm a huge (laughs) patty lapone fan so (laughs) i did know all the words and uh here's the thing and i thank you and i am proud of what i did but um i would say as an adult looking back i probably sounded good you sounded phenomenal i I and I say now I feel confident about my acting abilities, but at 16 I couldn't act my way out of a paper bag. Many, most people couldn't, so I can't. I'm not so hard on myself, but boy, looking back, I was like, there was a whole lot of standing around and looking around. Well, you were standing around because you guys made the decision. Like she has 24 hours to learn this. She has to learn an entire operetta in this little amount of time, and all of her blocking. And you know what? We're going to skip the choreographed dance numbers because there's no fucking way you're learning all of that in 24 hours. I did not dance one second of that. No. You did did a great stalking the front of the stage (laughs) while everyone danced behind you. I luckily had been at enough rehearsals because I was in the ensemble to know where to stand where I wouldn't get hit by a dancer. That's a good way to do it. That's, uh, That's the best way. Yeah. To describe it. That's the best way to know how to stay out of the way. Yeah. And it was good, though. Um, my biggest regret of that whole thing is how terrible the wigs were, or the one wig, really, because uh, the one super tall. It um, was a hairspray wig. Yeah. From the musical hairspray, which if you've not seen the musical hairspray, they are supposed to be comically large hairdos. Yeah. And Ava Peron is supposed to have like a classy platinum blonde bun, but instead it was like a foot high, and it just, it was just a thing that could have been resolved, and I. Just let it happen. (laughs) I could have asked my mother to go, like, even just go to Party City, man. It was bad enough that I would have rather had a Party City wig. And not because it was a bad wig, but because it was for a different show. Like, whoever put that wig together for Hairspray, I'm sure it was wonderful for Hairspray. But not for um, the First Lady of Argentina. No. No, it was not. (laughs) But it was beautiful. I just remember at the end of it, an opening night, because I was in college at the time, and, you know, mom and dad called me. They're like, "Uh, Casey's going on as Ava Perone tonight, (laughs) so you better get your butt down here. So I came back, and we all saw it. And I'll 
that was one of the happiest moments of my life because I'm sitting there with mom and dad and I'm watching you do it and you're killing it and I know you had only 24 hours. And then at the end of the show, the curtain call, there's no stage door in high school. It's just like the hallway behind mm-hmm. the auditorium. And I remember everyone got out there and all of these kids lined up in a row and started clapping their hands and chanting, Casey Meeks, Casey Meeks, because that was your, because <laughs> was apparently they couldn't add the O at the end of it. Uh, well, it is, well, that's what my social know, media handles your, are. No, exactly. <laughs> and I just remember I was the first person you saw and Aww. you just ran up and we hugged. And it was, I think what was special about that was that was our first like sibling, you know, we love each other moment because you know i wasn't in high school anymore you're still in high school we'd both gotten out of that uh we didn't live together yeah i was saying we did really well not living together yeah we do great not living together it's wonderful we just have we we would be we were terrible roommates to one another yeah that's a good point we really were yeah um so after high school you went on and you went to where'd you go to college case well, I went to Western Connecticut State University. In Danbury, Connecticut. In good old Danbury D-Block. Danbury, Connecticut. D-Block is what they called it? I feel like we called it that once. Did Danbury have nicknames? Uh, like as a city? I think, yeah. I think we called it D-Block, a couple of my friends. That's an interesting It sounds thing. familiar to me, but yeah. <laughs> but I could have made it up just now. I could have just I'm made just it up, but... Yeah. And you went on to major in theater. What was your what was the official name of your major? Cause musical you had, theater. Musical I have, theater. Well, I double majored. So I have a music I have, I have a degree in musical theater and a degree in theater with a concentration in design tech. Oh. So that's what it is. I thought because I knew it was I thought it was theater tech was just the name of it. No, so. it's it's much longer than that for some reason. <laughs> so when you as as a person who has uh no bachelor's degrees when you get your diploma does it say two is it two separate diplomas or does it say the two things i didn't get a second diploma and i asked them why and they said well it's on your transcript and i was like what but i got two degrees i can't i can't i have two frames like (laughs) uh i bought i went to jordan's and bought the two pack what am i gonna do with this yeah um well which is fine i'll say i mean having graduated now five ish years ago i haven't looked at the actual diploma i have yeah. a diploma from ada but it's an associate's degree so it's not as exciting <laughs> yeah but it's a good school it's a great school no it's just the uh the actual degree was useless because yeah. uh, you know, i've never been to a job that required a, an associate's degree i've <laughs> never heard of a job that requires an associate's degree yeah and ada gave you the option to go on and finish um your degree at st john's which would have been cool oh. And that would have been cool if I started it at 18. I, however, went to another college, wasted a whole bunch of time, and then restarted. I always say, because people are like, oh, and then you transferred to Adam. I'm like, I didn't transfer. I (laughs) full-on dropped out of college, started a new school. None of those credits really transferred over. Yeah, nothing went over. I was a college dropout who then immediately went back to college, technically, (laughs) is really what it was. Um. What was some of your favorite shows when you did when you were in Westcon? Um, what was my favorite? Well, Sweeney Todd was probably my favorite show we did. It's also one of my favorite musicals. So and you played the Beggar little, Woman. Yes, I did play the Beggar Woman. So I'm a little biased in that I love that show so much. And also, it was a great production. Like we won awards for did it. Did you have? I forgot. Awards. Did you have a black like, like the the whiteout eye for that? Yes, I had one whiteout eye, 
and we had. Do you see different in those multicolored things? Uh, well, it was the whiteout eyes. Kind of, it's just like being very, very cloudy. It's what I imagine a cataract feels like. Mm. So it's it kind of messes with your depth perception, which was very funny because a lot of a few of my scenes were on top of a like eight foot rotating platform that didn't have railings. Yeah. Because it was the top of the pie shop, so I was very worried. And I will say, it's fine. I didn't fall, but wow. What, how very risky. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it was it was a little bit rough. I was double cast with one of my friends, so both of us were like, do we do we practice with one eye? Like, I think should you we do. I, I mean, yeah, you should have, like, put on an eye patch and just yeah. done the whole thing just so you get used to Well, it kind of showed life. up a little bit late in the game that we didn't know we were having one eye blacked out. Yeah. But it was fine. It all worked out. That's awesome. And yeah. then what else did I see you in? Major Barbara. Major Barbara. Which was a very weird play. It's, it's just an it's old George play. Bernard it's a George Bernard play. It's just real old. I'll yeah. say it was probably my my favorite experience because, A, it was my largest role while I was there. Yeah, you were Major Barbara. Yeah, um, and I thought I did well in it, but if you were like, oh, do you like the play Major Barbara? I'd be like, no, I don't really know. I don't yeah. think so. I had to write a 25-page paper on it for my senior thesis, but you know what? I don't think so. I know, it's yeah. kind of boring. I don't quite remember. Um, you were, because Major Barbara, you were the uh, a, a sergeant in the Salvation Army. I was a major in the major. Salvation Major Barbara. Major of Barbara. Of the Salvation Army. <laughs> Which I didn't know they had ranks. Oh, um, yeah, they do. Um, They're an army. They are, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and a thrift shop. Yeah. Um, I don't know anything. I'm a disclaimer. I'm sure the Salvation Army does amazing things I know nothing about. Yeah. But I know nothing about it. I only know stuff because I had to write a 25-page paper on it. So. Um, and what was the, the plot of it? Is so. Um, someone made a bet they could fuck you or something like that? No. That's not no, the plot? No, the main conflict is between myself and my father. So it's that I was a came from a rich family yeah my parents were separated okay uh, my father was basically an arms uh manufacturer and i was like that's not chill yeah. uh because i am in the salvation army and i don't believe in that and he was saying basically there's a place for everything i mean he was saying it a little harsher about uh arms races and stuff it's been a while yeah but the whole bet was that i could convert him to be a pacifist quicker than he could convince me that capitalism wasn't so bad oh um and so um i lost you, in that i think just, spoiler just alert loved, for this hundred year old play just loved well, capitalism it was i don't think it was that it was so much that i thought i could convert a lot of people who were not necessarily bad people or were in a bad place yeah to not do these not even not do these things but like not fall into the trap of capitalism and he won it was like i was trying to save souls and he was trying to be like just i don't know if it was if i don't know enough about nietzsche if it was like nietzsche's or nihilistic i was gonna say very nihilistic nihilistic that's the word i'm like yeah and it was i mean it gave points on either side so i don't think it took a very specific stance but the play ended happily and happily enough uh, I have to revisit it. I know you have no idea how much I've forgotten about that play. Listen, I watched that play, and I remember at the end of it being just like, Casey was great. I'm not sure what happened. I don't yeah. know. What All I know is at the end, Major Barbara was like, I can still be in the Salvation Army and have a relationship with my dad. So... <laughs> 
Major Barbara will die with the colors. I remember that. Oh, man. So I know you went also to, while you were doing theater at mm-hmm. WestCon, you went to the Edinburgh Fridge Fest once. Yes. What did you? What's, what show did you guys take? We brought uh, Chekhov's Three Sisters, mm-hmm. which I stage managed. I wasn't in that one, yeah. um, which was wonderful because I used to do a lot of stage management, and I was pretty good at it, but it's just, it's not a very forgiving job. No. Like, you work very, very, very hard for... Not enough thanks, I'd say. And not just me, like observing other stage managers. Yeah, you don't get a lot of credit for what yeah, you do. Yeah, and they, it's so much work because you have to be an advocate for actors, but you also have to work with every department. It, yeah. in, you know, Even with the most wonderful people, there's going to be some sort of artistic disagreement that you have to moderate a lot of the time. Um, but Three Sisters is one of the best experiences I've had. I got to go to Scotland to Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which I wish I could be at right now because it's happening right now. Uh, Is it? Yeah, it's uh, August. (gasps) Oh, shit. I know people there. Oh. The Reformed Horrors are there right now. Oh, very cool. I think. I'm pretty sure they are. I think the only people I know there are people I met while I was there. Yeah. Because there's fringe festivals all around the world. Yes, but Edinburgh, but Edinburgh is the largest. The, the, yeah, Edinburgh is the one. When you say fringe fest, people think of the Edinburgh Fringe yeah. Festival, even though there is a New York City fringe and yeah. there's a yeah, there's a, there's like one in every major city, really. Yeah, but but uh, Edinburgh is is it's it. I believe it's actually technically called the Edinburgh Festival Fringe uh, because it is a the way it started was from. Uh, don't quote me on this. From what I understand, well, there's you're, the you're literally Edinburgh. literally quoting it into a podcast. I know, but what I'm saying <laughs> is everybody Wikipedia this, uh, if you're going to put it in a term paper, yeah. that there is the Edinburgh International Festival, Okay. and that a bunch of people didn't get into that and were very mad, so they made the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, the fringe of that festival. Like It happened at almost the same time or very cl- similar timeline. Oh. They were like, you wouldn't let us in, so here's Is the what International Edinburgh Festival still a thing? It is, I believe. But know. it's not as big as the fringe now. Yeah, for um, all you young people, it's like VidCon versus Tanacon, uh, which Jesus is something I've been Christ, talking about a lot. I don't know what lot. that means. Ooh, there's a lot of there's a lot of. Uh, you were trying to explain stuff. it to me earlier, and I was like, I don't even know what's happening. There's a lot of YouTube videos about it. It's very interesting. It's very like um, it reminds me of a reality show. That's I know why I like nothing it. about YouTube. And I need to get way better at it. I mean, there are people that I know and love on YouTube. Um, I, I love Mike Falzone on YouTube. Big I love Megan Tonjes. I like. There's uh, people. Julia Nunes. Don't know who that is. Oh, she's great. Check yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, there's a bunch of people that like I know are big YouTubers. But I think I was the last. I mean, there's definitely people my age that are super into it, mm-hmm. but I think you and me, because you're 27, I'm 29, we're right on the cusp of the last people who still watched television, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like waited till Thursday night to watch Survivor television yeah. watchers, we which is watch it live. Exactly. So I feel like, you know, YouTube was a thing, but YouTube was where I watched the videos of like as many nut shots as I possibly <laughs> could, or I watched a kitten play piano, like when when I. When we were young, YouTube was a place that you did sketches and put stuff out there. People yeah. weren't using it as an actual talk show hosting. It wasn't like more as 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 real and documentary and it wasn't the medium it was. It was yeah. a place to take videos from other shit 
and put, and it, put on. it on. It was like this. a hosting platform more than anything. Yeah, and now it's uh, YouTube's taking on a yeah. whole life of its own. Now I don't know. I'm not that deep into YouTube, but there's a couple. Well, there are YouTubers that I have I watched in like ten years ago, and they're yeah. still around. Yeah. Some of them. Like there's this one guy Shane Dawson that I remember watching in high school, and I was like, dang, this guy. Is. Oh, he's great. I like him very much. I'm sure. I'm sure he's they're all. He's why I know what Tanacon is. <laughs> Because he made a video about it. Mm. That's the only way I find out about what else is happening on YouTube is if the like three YouTubers I watch still do it. And I mentioned a YouTuber. I have a coworker who's 19, and I mentioned uh, one of the YouTubers that I watch, and she was like, that's so lame. She's not a thing anymore. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm apparently behind the times. I know. Well, that's the thing. And you are behind the times. I feel like our generation, because you and I – we're among the last people who remember life pre-internet. Yeah. I think me even more so than you, because we got internet when I was like 12. Um, I, rem- I remember it, but it was definitely different. But it was also, yeah, and that's the thing, is we saw the evolution of the internet. An internet was a thing that that you, you, you did sometimes, and then you talked to your friends on AIM, AIM Instant Messenger, and you had to sit at the computer okay. as long as you could. And you and I would have to take shifts and we would be like, Zach gets a computer for an hour, then Casey gets a computer for an hour. Yeah, and, it was and then like, someone would uh, inevitably accidentally download something and get a virus. And then we it would wasn't just accidental. Be like, it was me. Oh, I knew it was you. It was a, m- <laughs> mom and dad kept saying it was me, and I was like, no, I'm s- not like I'm smarter than you, but like I downloaded stuff a lot, so I knew what was a virus and what wasn't. For me, it was I had Kazaa, and I didn't know how. I just downloaded everything I possibly could, and it turned. Yeah, and, and the oh, computer yeah. got destroyed many times over i was so mad because they always blame me i feel like when we were kids like and they don't do this now you would wipe the entire computer all the all time, the time. you now never it, save anything nothing was saved because all the time is you would because we didn't have things like photos and stuff like that yeah those were still tangible items so we had them in a, in a photo album down there or so you had a digital camera that had its own yeah. um what do you call it chip and if you had um, and if you had to save something, you had, f- you know, the three and a half inch floppy disks and everything yeah. was saved to there. And you're like, There's that's so all our CD work. Roms. And yeah, I forgot all about that. You used to just w- erase your entire computer regularly. Yep. You were just like, oh, too many viruses. Factory settings kill the whole computer. Uh. I don't I wonder if that would even work anymore. Like if you were willing to give up everything on your computer, could you just wipe it and it would be okay? I I've no idea. I don't know anyone who deletes their whole computer anymore. Me Where neither. it used to be it's like every 3 months you're like all you saw was pop-ups <laughs> and stuff and you were like, "Oh, we just got to wipe the whole thing. Yeah. It's not working out." Oh my oh god. Man. The the early ago. days of the internet. Um back when it was still dial up and you had you couldn't use the phone and the internet at the same time and then eventually you got two separate phones it's still dial up but you Mm -hmm. there was like an internet phone line and a not internet phone line and we had like sbc global which i don't think is a thing anymore Uh, we had alta vista we had aol like three different times we got whatever like i was talking to mom about it's whatever showed up in the newspaper and yeah. it had like a free thousand hour cd that was another thing we used to pay for internet by the hour <laughs> it used yeah. to be like oh god that was the way bills worked because they didn't know what like what data was yeah and there was no set thing so they just you know oh you used it for 13 hours today Ugh. 
that the dark ages <laughs> it was the dark ages and so back then there was you know it, we're instead of facebook you know we're using myspace and whatnot and you had a live journal oh yeah i was very into live journal has that been taken over by like tumblr and stuff like that uh, yeah i'd separate? say so i would say a lot of what um the the purpose of live journal transfer transferred over to tumblr but the thing with LiveJournal is that you could lock it so only your friends could read it. So you would be putting these like really angsty posts that you may not not. I, I can't speak to other people, but I would be more uh, open on LiveJournal than yeah. I would on Tumblr because you can't lock a private. You can't lock the privacy on a post on Tumblr. Yeah, so they really tried to be the that. Names. That's the thing. They, on LiveJournal, they truly tried to make it like it was a journal and if yeah. you wanted for nobody to see it no you one do. would see it and you'd go to someone's live journal and there would be uh one post open and it would have some sort of banner that someone made yeah. a graphic and it would say friends only comment below and you would comment if you wanted to be added to their friends list and they would decide if they wanted to add you or not that sounds weird yeah and they <laughs> also had that. moods at the top of it you could every post you could put your mood and there be I an remember emoji. the moods yeah and you could put custom ones like I had a spaced one and it took so long to do well that's because HTML. We, we used to need to know HTML like mm -hmm. I remember learning that I have no knowledge of it whatsoever now but I remember learning all these HTML code in order to like embed music on my myspace page mm -hmm. and like make and tile the background tile the background and make like that and i had to like write out html to do it yep and pff, that's gone i have no idea that that didn't yeah. stick around in my memory whatsoever no i could italicize stuff in html but that's kind of where it ends i can't even do that i know that there's a lot of less than and greater than signs in yep. html that's all i know oh it's rough oh there was a God. lot of coding we did like I mean, I don't know how legitimate a person who actually codes would call it, but like advanced coding. coding for someone who has not read a thing about no, it. No, exactly. And there were For a 13-year-old. And this was before YouTube tutorials and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I don't even remember how I learned the code. I think like you had the one friend who knew how to do it and he came over one day and showed you well, how to do it. Or like someone would do a post on their MySpace with yep, like instructions on like this is the code and now go yeah. in and like. LiveJournal had a lot of those. I think that's how I figured out a lot of things was through LiveJournal communities. Do you remember, um, did you have any good away messages you remember having? Oh, they were all lyrics. Yeah, all of they were them. all song lyrics. And I was never actually away. I was always there and was like, I'm just going to put my song lyrics up. Well, the see. thing is, oh, you used to, and that's the what thing, you says. used to put up your away message as like a passive aggressive thing. You get in a yeah. fight with somebody and be like, I'll be right back. Away. And then you just hit your away message and it would be like, yeah, it was very angsty. It we was. were a very angsty but generation. I, I also predominantly used musical theater lyrics. So no matter how angsty I was, it was probably like twice as ridiculous. still quoting Fiddler on the Roof. Oh my God. I... <laughs> I always threw up a message from Sunday in the Park with George, oh my which is God. still one of my favorite musicals and also is very much like introspect. It's very introspective and stuff. It's a beautiful musical that a 13 year old is being very extra when she uses. God, <laughs> it, it was we were we were it was very dramatic teenagers. Yeah. Oh, and now that's the thing. Today's generation will just know how that works. They'll just like they don't remember like my future non-existent children will never know a life where they couldn't talk to grandma just face to face on yeah. a screen like a long 
you know, at any point just for fun. Yeah. And then and we were the generation that basically invented Internet friends. Like I know that there were pen pals and stuff like that, but I had I talked to people I've never met. I I actually met some of them in real life now. But like, what a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. There was this one one girl I uh, was friends with on Tumblr and I think maybe LiveJournal as well. And I just got I had followed her for years and I just got a message on Tumblr like four or five years ago when I moved here that just said, do you live in Astoria? And I was like, what do I live where? And uh, it was one of my Internet friends who didn't know I lived in the same neighborhood that she did. And she saw you somewhere. And she saw me at the train station and said, I was I thought that was you. And then she and I ended up taking improv classes together um, and we're. Uh, we're still friendly. She doesn't live here anymore. Like we hung out when she was here, but now she lives in Chicago. Yeah. Big ups to Katie. So that a girl. Yeah. So when you moved to the city, well, yeah. you got into improv very pretty quickly when yes, you moved to the city. That was something I knew was, I was going to do. Was that one of the reasons you moved to the city, or was it more, or was your focus more on musical theater? My, uh, here's the thing. My focus versus my ambition. So my focus was definitely on improv when I got here. And I love improv. And it, yeah. there, I never regret doing it. But Because uh, you I, went through all the UCBs. I, I went through all the core classes and a, a bunch of uh, advanced classes. I yeah. haven't taken one in a while, but it, it's just it's a, it, it's difficult to get into classes. And I've been focusing more on acting. So I've been taking acti- my acting classes instead. No, totally. Um, but it was that my ambition was always to be a musical theater actor. But uh, I and this was my problem as a 22 year old kind of rested on my laurels and went, I'm performing every week. I'm doing improv. But I wasn't going to auditions for musical theater. I remember that. You and I used to get in arguments about that. And you had a point. You were. I was like, you were doing shows every week. I I was was not. So it's like I totally got where you were coming from. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I just remember being like. I was like, oh, but you were so good. Like, you still got to go out for yeah. it. Well, <laughs> the thing was, and uh, I've I've been lucky enough to find and, and work with teachers now that yeah. teach it, but a lot of people are not taught how to audition. They're taught no. how to act. They're taught exactly. how to sing. They're not taught where you're supposed to show up and when nope. and what the etiquette is. And luckily, I have a mentor that, that had, had guided me through that. So it, it was like a rough start yeah but he's helped me tremendously in that and now i audition regularly and i've been doing things and i've been in shows uh but like the first two years or so i had i was just like lost yeah i didn't know i wouldn't even know where to show up well no and then and it's exactly right because no one tells you what to do you would scour playbill and you would do this and Mm -hmm. a lot of them were union only so when you were non-union you were kind of like i don't know what the fuck yeah should i bother showing up and i will say as someone who because I did, you know, theater for a while. When I first moved to the city, my intention was to do theater, mm-hmm. and then I learned I was outclassed quite quickly. Aww. So I shifted my focus because I was a, I was a good actor, and I was a f- I was a good actor. I was a fine singer, and I was an atrocious dancer. And yeah, you c- the it, dance part. Gets it, and up. so I was like, well, let me just focus. I'm a good actor. Let me just focus on that, and I'll, yeah. you know. I you could have still done theater but it is like a thing that you would it's a different audition skill you would have had to learn no exactly and it wasn't just the auditioning it was theater professional theater is a life you do for the love of it yeah not for money not for anything like that and when i was a single guy i loved doing it and i you know i do children's theater and i'd go on tour and i loved it Mm -hmm. because i was a single guy then i met laura and then i was like i don't 
I was like, wow, I really love this girl. I don't want to tell her I'm going to spend nine months of the year just off and about right. like, like <laughs> going I've to a different city on a cruise i might not have service for days no at a time. exactly and yeah. i was like i don't want to have that separation from you so yeah. that also kind of prompted my more shift towards tv and film right and when i started doing tv and film i remember how mad i was at the musical theater process <laughs> because tv and film you have an appointment every fucking time you know yeah. exactly where you're going you know what time you're supposed to be there you know all this whereas musical theater they basically just put out a blanket thing like hey everybody we're gonna have auditions at this time these equity people we want to see all have appointments yeah. and they'll come at this time and they'll audition the rest of you are gonna sit in a room for eight fucking hours yeah. and maybe you have the slightest chance of yeah. getting seen 12 a lot of the time yeah and that's crazy hours. to me it's like I used from when you get there because like, and you like, get there at 6 a.m and it ends at 6 p.m and that's the worst and like and i just remember getting mad at it and i like because i think i know it's about paying your dues and i know it's about that but i remember i i would go to those cattle calls where i would sit there for a long time and i was lucky being a boy honestly because i wouldn't have to wait the full 12 hours because right. there weren't as many guys auditioning so i would get seen simply because i was a guy i'd still be there six hours waiting yeah. to get seen but, but i would but i would but i would get seen smaller. versus yeah. exactly versus the women's calls and i just remember when i started auditioning for you know film and tv i was just like this is way fucking better i don't it, it's almost it, to me it's very antiquated the way they do musical theater because I don't know why they don't do video submissions like why don't some they of them do. some of them do it would make so much more sense to you are only doing appointments you do a video audition everyone records their 16 bars and they send up to and well, it could even be it's wrapped up with the union and i'm a big believer in the union yeah i don't know how they make rule changes yeah so i can't say why they did why they would why they wouldn't but i know that the why it kind of stinks when you're not in the union is that they truly union the union truly advocates uh, for equity, people in inequity the union. Yeah. they really are i believe in them but when you're not then no one's uh, um there's nobody advocating there's no for consideration you. for you yeah which I mean, which is frustrating because the only way to join the union is to do union productions yeah. so it's kind of like yeah but if you keep at it long enough it's a horrible catch 22 and it's it the same with a sag game of chance sometimes. yeah and it's the same with sag is in order to join sag you have to do sag jobs in order to do sag jobs you have to be sag a lot of the times yeah. except for there's a couple uh, that where they offer waivers so yeah. you can do there and i know it's the same with you know with equity, with you equity, you might work for free a lot before you can join the union. Because I remember when you first did it. your yeah, exactly. I was gonna say because you are because you're not in equity yet. You're I'm in the EMC. EMC. I'm a candidate for the union. Exactly, and I remember you got your first equity points. You didn't get paid to do it. You just no. had to go out and do the I thing. You were working in, for I equity points. I was in a regular length regional show. You were no, in so the I just thing. you were in an equity show. So doing I just the thing. wasn't really working. Yeah. Because it was also time as time consuming as being a regular actor in the show. So it was kind of hey, but yeah. I'm happy I did it. I also met a lot of great people doing it. I don't regret doing it. If you handed me the exact same job, yeah. would I do it again? No. 
because I yeah. need to feed myself. And you know what? A year out of school is a lot more permissible for maybe you sublet, maybe you someone helps you out no, financially. Yeah, totally. And I'm sure that someone would help me out, but they'd be like, "Is this the one you want help with?" I or think I just one? find it like frustrating I because mean my I know a lot of people burn out of acting in general, theater yeah. and film, because it's not an easy road. It's very tough, and I think what I, my frustration with like, especially the audition process for equity calls, is just that it's like you guys. I would get drummed out way quicker doing that and showing up and not getting seen day after day after day yeah. than just submitting myself for the breakdowns on um, Actors Access for, for TV and film and just not get called in. Not yeah. get called in. I still have my day. I still have stuff to do. That's you guys, true. it's so much time and money lost because you can't take – there's certain jobs you can't have. You can't work a nine-to-five job and be pursuing theater in New York because right. you have to be at those open calls and you have to yeah. be there to do stuff. And the second you do book something, you now have to quit that nine to five job. Right. Whereas with like a lot of actors do bartending and waitering. And it's always kind of like this unspoken thing in New York where if you're a waiter or a bar bartender, nine out of 10 waiter or bartenders are usually creatives that plan on doing other stuff there are career yeah. bartenders and mixologists and waiters that work at like del frisco's making 1700 yeah, a and night like and stuff more motos and exactly stuff. um yeah um well the thing that it, i'm very grateful for is i have two part-time jobs and both of them are very flexible yeah um i think one of them be, and it, that didn't wasn't always the case and i'll no. say once that's changed a lot changed for me really quickly. Yeah. Uh, Cause I am a vocal coach and a audition coach. And also I work in a spice shop and both of those, I kind of in can for the most part, make my own hours. Yeah. Uh, but what's also very good about it is especially to be an audition coach. I've interned at casting offices and stuff. So I've kind of gotten the other side of things to yeah. be like, why are people cast? Why is this audition happening this way? And I think something like that is really kept my head above water with this. Yeah. Because I have an understanding. I don't walk in and and get seen and maybe I don't get a call back and go, I didn't get it because everybody thinks I'm not talented because I have been on the other side and of it. you see how specific it is yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And I also see that a lot of the times it's because they s have seen you audition seven times and every time you did well and maybe you just weren't right for the shows they were casting, yeah. but maybe you're right for the next one. There was one casting director in particular. I know his name was Bob and I can't remember. Bob his. Klein? Maybe. I think, it was, I think it was Bob Klein. And I remember I auditioned because he was casting... I got two callbacks from him. Once when he was casting the tour for South Pacific mm -hmm. and once when he was casting the tour for Young Frankenstein. Oh, Both yeah. times I got a callback, which means I did a good audition. They mm -hmm. called me back or it just means I was big and the roles were for big guys, which is for me a lot of the times that was yeah. the case. Um, and I remember I overheard him talking to another um, person auditioning one time and this person was frustrated. He'd been in a couple times and, you know, he hadn't do that. And I heard Bob Klein say to him, he was like, listen, I have to see you audition at least 10 times before I mm -hmm. even consider putting you in for a role. Yeah. And I remember thinking two things simultaneously. I'm like, for one, 
that's really cool. They want you to pay your dues. They want you to do this. And at the same time, fuck you, Bob Klein. What do you mean you got to see me do it this time? What if I'm the best person for the role? What if I'm doing a great job? And it used to drive yeah. and, and like. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I understand what he's he's saying in a way, though. It's the consistency part. Like, yeah. And I mean, uh, I'll say for the record, you're great, Bob Klein. Give me a job. Um, <laughs> Bob but, Klein, if you want to give me a but job, but he is too. a great casting. No, director. and he is, and he um, does great but, work. Yeah. But it is, I understand that, and I've I've had the experience of going into auditions and having casting directors recognize you, and in that that in and of itself is an accomplishment. No, totally, absolutely. Because that means you're on a list somewhere. It you don't know which a, list of theirs you're on, but they know who you are. It took me a very long time to start getting that there are certain still like, you know, commercial and TV agents that they know who I am. And they're like, oh, it's good to see you. It's good to do this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, good. They know who I am. Everything's fine. Now I'm in this weird space of popularity where like they know who I am, but not because they've seen me do anything. And yeah. it's like, uh, it's a more awkward Well, they've thing. seen your the result of your work, which is your modeling. Yeah. They may not have have been there while you were shooting, but they have seen the result. No, totally. And they have, exactly. But it, it's a very, it, it's a good feeling as soon mm -hmm. as the casting director knows who you are. Yes. It takes a lot of pressure off. Because yeah. nothing, because... People, I feel like people drill first impressions into you really hard, yeah. especially in the acting world. They're like, first impression is everything. If it's a new casting director, you got to fucking blow them out of the water. Mm -hmm. And it's, and that for me, some people work well in that. It's the more pressure you add to a performing situation, not work ethic, not everything like that, but like stand on the stage and sing. The yeah. more pressure you add, the worse I do. It is. I need to be and very relaxed to do it well. The thing is, I feel like a lot of that is why people drop out yeah. so quickly. Because the thing that I think has helped me a lot is understanding that casting directors are just trying to get their job done. They just want they want the show to be as good as, as it can be. Yeah. So the reason they're not casting you is not because they hate you, but so... What it does is I feel like so many schools of thought drill into you as as though you are adversarial with the people behind that table. Yeah. And they're so, oh, they're so, they're they're always judging you and they're so mean and blah, blah, yeah, blah. They're watching you from the second you walk in. Everything yeah. you do, the way you hand over your paper to the accompanist. Yeah, which, I mean, that stuff's important. Yeah. But almost all of the advice you get is like, do that like a human being, like a person. I know. And the, I, every casting director I've spoken to has been nothing but lovely uh, I the worst I've had a, in an experience with a casting director is that they don't look up and that they're maybe a little bit short, but they also have to see 600 people that day. Yeah. So if I keep stuff like that in mind, no one has ever been like, you're never going to make it, kid. You I know? know. Exactly. And if you did, maybe you really did something terrible because there's no reason that they should even take the time the one to be that cruel to you. They're yeah. all they've all been pretty lovely to me or neutral. The only casting director who was ever mean to me um was the one I ended up booking. So like uh. who it was like horrible. It was like a stereotypical like you're never going to make it. He oh. said I was too fat. He he like he like ripped into me. He called me unprofessional because the whole thing was I went in to do the reading and I didn't bring my script in with me. I had the I had my scene memorized. Yeah, I thought it was the thing. Anyway. And I didn't bring my scene in with me. Um, and I was nervous because I was nervous at every audition. And then he's like, I'm going to cut this line, this line, this line, and this line. Okay. And I went, fuck. Yeah, he was screwing with you. And I was like, I remember this verbatim, but I don't remember. I like, I you, just you didn't finished. Memorize. I just finished memorizing this an hour ago. I don't. 
I don't know it like the back of my hand where if you cut sections, I can stitch these sections together. Because yeah. it's also asking you to not only recognize your cue lines of the other person, but the other person's lines that might not have been your cue before, no, but now exactly. they're your cue. Exactly. Yeah. And I didn't perform. I, 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 I had to stop the audition and, I, and he goes, what, you don't know this? And I was like, I did know it mm-hmm. and I do know it. But you just changed the whole damn thing. Yeah. And so I like asked him to look at his paper and he it was bad. And he like ripped into me. He's Ugh. like, you're never going to work. You're too fucking fat anyway. And it, like just laid wow. into me. Um, and then I got the part. <laughs> it was just like that's, that's it was, like a weird I got test. The, I only got the part. It was my first guest star on TV. And I was kind of like, well, what the fuck? Yeah, that's like a weird test. That I don't think people play those games quite so much anymore, but it sounds like a thing that used to be. It was terrible. I think I'm tired. That, that's the thing is I, I think I'm tired in the entertainment industry of things like that. I'm going to test this person. I'm going to push them. I'm yeah. like, guys, that's some. I feel like there's we a got lot. no time for bullshit. Just get to the point. I think there's a lot. Here's the thing, though. I think because going back to when we we're like, oh, so many long days for theater auditions. I think because of that nature that they have to see 400 people that day, there is less testing. Yeah. They don't have the time to yeah. test you. The most they will do to quote unquote test you is ask you to sing something that you brought in from your book, you know, which you should have prepared anyway, or you shouldn't have brought it with you. Yeah. Um, that was my yeah. big problem with musical theater is I would always add something to my book for the th- instead of just singing oh. from my book, I would be like, you know, it would be really good. It would be really good because we're doing this role. If I did this song, my last musical theater audition was for SpongeBob the Musical mm-hmm. when they were when they were workshopping it in Chicago. Yeah, and that I got uh, called in to for to audition for Patrick, mm-hmm. and I decided. I was going to sing because, you know, I did the scenes and I did the scenes fine, but I decided that I was going to sing Never Going to Give You Up by Rick Astley as my song because I feel like it, I just thought it was playful and yeah. thought it, I thought it'd be funny that I was like Rick rolling the audition <laughs> and that I think just thought it went well. Um, and so I learned the song and I learned all the words and I did the thing and I thought I'd was going to do good but i had never done it with an accompanist before yep so i handed the you know i handed her the sheet music handed my book she pounds out the first two chords and i go i have no fucking idea what my note is i like i don't i don't know what we're i don't know what key this is in yeah instantly that's that's part of the audition skill like that's part of the reason one of the reasons you have and i'm a big proponent i i part of my coaching is is getting people to get their books together yeah um, the, uh, the main reasons I would say for having an audition book is taking that option away from you Yeah, is you have prepared this, you have prepared this with an accompanist, you have prepared this possibly with a coach, you know, this inside and out, there yeah. is no room for error, but if you're bringing in something new, not only you're second guessing yourself from the st- word go, R- yeah, exactly. and also you've worked out what you're supposed to say to the accompanist because accompanists are there to help you. But they are going to play what's on the paper if you don't give them any instructions because that's all they have. That's all the information they have. Yeah. So if you didn't ask for a bell tone to figure out what your your starting note is, they're not going to play it. I know. And she just went like, boom, boom, boom. And I was like, I don't fucking, okay. Uh. Yeah. And then she goes, ah, dum. And I'm yeah. like, okay, sorry. Yeah. And then like, and it, yeah, I was always bad. I was always 
uh, that's one of the reasons I always felt outclassed in musical theater. And it was because of that. I, it was, there was a lack of education on the audition process yeah. that I knew getting into a show. I know how to do that. I know how to get my script. I know how to learn the part. Mm-hmm. I know how to perform the part. I know how to do deep dives into the scene work and all that stuff. I didn't know how to audition. And yeah. and, and musical theater been. auditions are the scariest of all auditions. Yeah. That's why you see, I'm, I mean, it is why, I mean, auditioning is a skill in and of itself because it is, um, yeah. because you have to give yourself the time to refine it. But that's why there are are separate coaches for auditioning not for learning your song for your cabaret not for an acting coach for when you're in a show like there are separate people that are like this is what you say to a casting director when you walk in this is how you walk in you look awkward let's fix that this sounds weird this isn't reading i need to read this you know it's 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 a different skill and yeah that's why i my mentor had a really great thing to say julio he said do not expect a callback for the first two years of yourself auditioning and if you get it, it's a very pleasant surprise. But two years is about how long it's going to take you to learn how to audition properly. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Oof. and it's and it's a slog. It's uh, it's it. That's again that adds to the burnout rate. Yeah. And I wish someone told me when I started when I first moved to the city. Like I got lucky and I ended up booking some stuff. I I booked a children's show. I mean, I'd lived in the city for two years. I've been auditioning, but I was going to school at the same time, so I wasn't full-time auditioning. Yeah. And I was lucky to get a gig full-time auditioning. But mm-hmm. a lot of it I got because of my size, which is uh, Which is great, though. Asset. That's, and that's yeah. part of it. And it's – but I wish someone told me in the very beginning because they do – they make you think, I learned how to act, I learned how to do all that. But no one told me the, hey, you're not booking shit for a long time. Because, yeah. uh, uh, you know – in they build you up and you do feel good about your abilities and you get good and you're like, I'm a good actor. I know I'm a good actor. This isn't me being boastful. This isn't me doing anything like this. I've done the work. I know this is something I'm good at. But no one taught me how to audition. Yeah. <laughs> no one taught me. I, I went, the school I went to, we had an audition workshop. The last, it was two classes like right before graduation we did like Mm -hmm. an audition seminar and it was bullshit and it was outdated and it was like you know it was how you auditioned in the 1980 1985 when that teacher used to audition and it was like i mean yeah you have it it is it does change i mean there are basic things that are the same yeah but i'll say even so much as there's like a message board that people post on first thing in the morning to be like this many people have come to this audition that saved my butt a million times on just not going to an audition not because it's you know you should be auditioning as often as possible but when you log on to that website at 6 a.m and they said okay there's 35 non-union people at this union call already you go i'm not getting in so i'm not going so i'm gonna sleep a couple more hours yeah because i know that this is per- this particular audition is out of my reach because yeah. after a couple years you start to really understand how that works you understand that if there's already a million people there an hour before you can get there, you might not want to, on depending average, on what the show is. On average, when you go out for auditions, how often, percentage-wise, did you not get seen? Percentage-wise, it's probably, it depends. Um, if you're like my total year of auditions I go to, probably like 5%. 5% but, you don't get but seen? But I've become better at figuring out what to do. Yeah. Like, I keep track of, uh, if it's, uh, if it's, for example, there's there's like six waitress calls a year yeah. for men, women, dancers, singers, EPAs, ECCs. 
But if I look at the if I've missed the first three and no union people have been seen at the first three, maybe I don't bother going to the fourth one. Yeah. You know, Uh, the same thing happened with Hello Dolly. I went to two Hello Dolly calls, didn't get seen at either. And I went, you know what? I just don't have to show up for the third. Yeah. You know, and you figure that. But uh, on the other hand, I went to an audition for My Fair Lady, got seen right away. It's it's something you have to just you've got to feel it out. And I also auditioned for a lot of non-union stuff, and it's yeah. much easier to get seen at a non-union uh, audition. Uh, I will have those, like, 12-hour days. Probably it used to be multiple times a year, and now it's pretty much gone down to, like, three times a year. Okay. Because well, I good. know now. Yeah. And I know when to give up. Like, I uh, – and if it's – if the call ends at 5, yeah, and maybe even if you're the first on the EMC list, which I often am uh, – if the call ends at five and it's four thirty, you gotta know to like it's done. You're done. You're finished. Yeah. You know, they're uh, very rarely it, are they gonna be able to squeeze you in. Yeah. In something like that, which sucks because you end up staying all day because you're like, I'm the first DMC. I'm gonna be seen first after all the equity people. But there's a lot of equity people that come in throughout the day and they still get to get seen before you because that's part of being in the union, which is great when you're there. And when you're not there, you're like, come on. But I understand what why that's the case. No, totally. That's the advantage of being in the union. <laughs> no, exactly. And that's why you work so yeah. hard to be in the union. But I was a, I didn't get seen a lot more earlier on because I was not taking things into consideration. I yeah. wasn't I was just like. Oh, I'll, I'll go to the the year beautiful comes out. I'll go to the beautiful call, and I was like, well, everyone, every woman in the city showed up to this audition. Yeah, exactly. So that, that that's cool. So so I know now you teach audition yes. technique and you teach uh, vocal, but you're more of a vocal coach. To I would actually say I do <clears throat> uh, audition technique more. Really? Often. Okay. Yeah, because I I work for a studio, and while I do teach vocal technique, no question. Yeah. It's kind of that's my specialty out of our team, whereas we have people who've been teaching voice for years and years and years and years. Yeah. So uh, I definitely have vocal students and consistent vocal students. But if you're looking at the bulk of my students, we're going through audition prep, not just vocal. I can tweak their vocals during the audition, but like they have tasks they have to get done. Like we have to fill your book. We have to you have an audition coming up. We're going to work on that. Yeah. Yeah, if it's more advanced vocal technique, the person who's a more advanced vocal teacher is going to take the lead on that. Have you ever thought into, since you are doing a lot of private coaching, have mm-hmm. you ever thought about going into like a collegiate uh, setting to do it? I don't think so, no. Uh, I have a lot, I'm still in contact with most of my professors from college. And it, it seems it's a specific lifestyle yeah. that you're going to, until you hit like sabbatical, uh, you're going to be that is where you live is that yeah. and I'm like well I still am an actor and that's my passion so you can't not can't but like n- you don't necessarily unless you you are teaching in New York City yeah you don't necessarily still do it's difficult as I, much stuff. Th- the ones I knew who s- who taught and still perform mm-hmm. don't work at colleges or anything like that they work at private studios because that's i think is more understood there's also a difference between teaching and coaching it is a it is a very different field whereas like when i'm if i were an acting teacher i'd be giving projects and evaluating you on a project that i dealt with for a for me as a audition coach we have a task you need to get done and there are stakes to it but it's also like i'm not going to give you a lecture on 
this is, this is important in musical theater because Oklahoma was the first musical. You know, it's yeah. it's something I might I love fun facts, but it is a very different relationship and you have to be there to be like, hey, perhaps this audition isn't worth going to because of something happening in your life. Yeah. Like you you may I, I, it's it's a lot more of an advice situation. Maybe not advice, but like I'm working with you personally based guiding. on your personality no, exactly. and based on your life rather than this is the standard. It's like, yeah, I know the standards, but I also know your particular problems. I know you have to do this in order to be productive and happy and have the like mental energy to pursue this. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. It's like a little life coaching in a way. But like life coaching and career coaching. Yeah. It's learning from experience. It's um, teaching from experience. Yes. But it, it's it's kind of got uh, it's more personalized, I'd say, than college. OK. Well, then this is a perfect time to wrap up. OK. And no, 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 it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Let's get a little freebie we've, from we've you. We've hit modern day. Exactly. Let's get a little freebie from you mm -hmm. before we wrap up here. I can't tell all my secrets. No, I know you sure. can't, but, you, but, but, but yeah. a lot of people listening to this um, have either wanted to act at one point or especially musical theater is, is, is big. Yeah. What, what, what do you have? What kind of advice do you have for someone who's just starting out, probably at that college age, just coming to New York? What are some what are like the first basics that they should focus on if they're moving into I am done with school for my, for my first. You're never done yeah. with school. You, you know, you're always going to go. You're always going to go to studios. You're always going to do that. But I am done with college. I've moved to New York or L.A. or Chicago or yeah. something like that. And now I'm going to start auditioning and pursuing this. What, what would be the first couple pieces of advice you'd give people? I would say the first, and I think the thing that would gives people the most longevity as a theater actor mm -hmm. is treat each audition like an opportunity to perform, learn from it, and then don't expect to hear back about it. Yeah. Because if you just God, wait I wish somebody told me that. That. I wish somebody told me that in the beginning because that's the most heartbreaking thing is never hearing yeah. from anybody. You will never get a rejection email. Never. You will get a, you got a call back or you will never hear from them again. Yeah. So, which is just because they would have to email 400 people. Yeah. I get it. So just l treat every audition as a learning experience. And if you get a callback, it is a wonderful, pleasant surprise, but don't put the cart before the horse. Don't pre start preparing for a callback you haven't got yet. Yeah. Because it, it, it's just... You should be auditioning enough that statistically you shouldn't be hearing back from most of your auditions yeah. because you should be auditioning for tons and tons and tons of things and you can't book it all. Yeah. So just set it and forget it. Basically. I remember I used to have a teacher who always said, you're going to audition a hundred times. You'll maybe get five callbacks. And if you're real fucking lucky, you'll book one of the hundred. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's a numbers it, it's game, just like, that's of. what you kind of have to do. Yeah, and it, it's it's a and don't hang your self esteem on that. Yeah. Because so many people are like, maybe I'm not cut out for it because I haven't this because I haven't that, and I was like, you could just simply be too short. No, yeah. There's so many factors that have nothing to do with your performance mm -hmm. and what you did. Yeah, you could be the the director is looking for someone with a warmer tone in their voice, and you are an excellent person with a brighter tone in your yeah. voice. Like it's. It's some. It could be something. You minuscule. just don't go with the, with their idea yeah. of what they want that character to be. Or they've already because a, a lot of auditions, some of the roles are already cast. So maybe they already cast the role you were perfect for. Yeah. And they're just like 
you could you're too different to be their understudy or they weren't trying to cast that part but you showed up and auditioned for that part you know it's yeah there's so many factors just don't hang your self-esteem on every single audition yeah I think that's great advice. Casey, thanks for talking to me. This thanks was a for lot having of me. fun. Um, everyone, please follow Casey on all of the social medias, mm-hmm. which are uh, at Casey underscore Meeks, M E E K S, on Instagram. Uh, you can also find me at, at Casey Meeks, no underscore, on uh, Twitter, and check out my website, which is just my name, CaseyMeeko.com. Hells yeah. All right, let's go get something to eat. I'm hungry. Yes, I'm very hungry. All right, <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye. What a fun time. For everyone who doesn't know, we went and we got seafood. It was great. Um, Wonderful talking to my sister. Please, everyone, follow her on all the social medias at Casey underscore Meeks, M-E-E-K-S. Casey is C-A-S-E-Y, but, you know, flip it and reverse it like Missy Elliott. Um, If you're interested in coaching, uh, CaseyMeeko.com slash coaching. You can also find quotes from her in the Professional Actors Handbook by julio augustine um and yeah she's pretty badass so if i were y'all i would get some coaching she can help you tighten up your book do the best in the room be the best person follow us on social media at zach miko z-a-c-h m-i-k-o on twitter and instagram at facebook.com slash big things pod but also i just I, I made a pro page too guys i just did that so also facebook.com slash the real zach miko i know I know. Uh, please email us at bigthingspod.com, Zach at bigthingspod.com, and Josh at bigthingspod.com. You're all amazing. And remember, until next week, to go out into the world and do big things. Uh-huh.